Hi everyone, it's Jenny and Lorraine. How are you doing, Hi. Lorraine? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Still hot, hot, hot? Oh, it's absolutely boiling, but we did get a little bit of rain this morning, which was good. I know. Lorraine messaged me <laughs> earlier saying, I'm just standing out in the rain. Like, what? <laughs> so she's... It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so that cooled you down? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's definitely cooler than it has been. I... Yeah. But yeah, we still need a big storm to clear the air. But I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Oh. Are you not on a hosepipe ban there then? No, not yet. No, are you? Uh, no, they're just saying that we probably will. Yeah, it's got to be headed that way soon. I think Ireland have done it, or is it Wales? I can't remember. Yeah, Northern Ireland are on a hosepipe Yeah, pipe. yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, the weather continues to be a topic at the moment because it's so unusually hot for being... It's been like three months really, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I was just thinking when I started CBT, how many weeks ago that was, because I remember in there it being really, really hot, and every time I've been, I've had to have a fan. Wow. And that, that's not normal. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <clears throat> um, anyway, so this week on Sensory Matters, I was chatting to Karen. Karen is an independent education consultant, so she travels the country teaching teachers important stuff. Um, and she's a pretty darn awesome, she's a personal friend as well, so I might be slightly biased, but she still has loads of great content, great insight into the education world. And I think you will find it very, very interesting. So we'll have a listen. Um, yeah, we'll be back after. Bye. Bye. We love a net and we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of pure frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory matters. You know what? Hi everyone, uh, it's Jenny back with another Sensory Matters show and today I have Karen Dammer. Say hi Karen Dammer. Hello, good morning. Um, Karen is a very good friend of mine but also a bit of an expert in some things. Her official title, which sounds very, very posh, is she is an independent education consultant. Everybody go, ooh. Steady. <laughs> so basically what this does, uh, what she does is she teaches a particular type of learning called cooperative learning across the whole of Britain, which basically is a way of engaging lots of kids, isn't it? It is. And, and getting the best out of them. So one of the things we're going to talk about today is how do you make sure that every child is engaged and that how they're all different and little tips as parents you might be able to come up with that you can then go and have a conversation with your teachers about. Um, and also tips on how to have a conversation with the teachers, like how to approach them and what would get the best outcome for them. Um, so, yeah, in a previous life, um, Karen was also a secondary school music teacher. She can play many instruments. How many? Many. Many. Guitars, ukuleles. Uh, jack of all trades and master of very few, unfortunately, yeah. but there you go. So, super talented. Um, and she's also been a principal teacher of guidance for pastoral care and pupil support, so I basically understand that as the go-to person for a child in secondary school if they need any help. Yes. Um, and also been an education support officer, health and well-being person. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So, different types of learners. There's lots, aren't there? Yes. Um, well, I suppose if you want to think about uh, each, each and every child comes with a different need. Yes. So if you want to technically, technically talk about... Uh, people with additional needs, every single child, mm -hmm. by its definition, has a specific need that's different to another person. Okay, yeah. Um, and that's identified by the um, <clears throat> legislation, why okay. we now look at uh, the whole child rather than only children who have diagnosed additional needs. Okay. So, for example, a child who wears spectacles in the classroom yeah. is identified as, a, as an additional need. That child has a barrier to learning until they have their spectacles on, yeah. then that, that kind of goes on. But that, that range is, is complex and vast yeah. and can be very simple to complex. So that must be a hellish nightmare for teachers because it's, it's, I mean, I understand the premise of wanting to teach every, treat every child as an individual, Yes. but when you're faced with a classroom full of 20 to 30 kids... That must become very difficult. Yes, uh, and I suppose in uh, in context, in theory, that is what, what what we should be doing in practice when we have a, a class of 30 people in front of us. That becomes a, 
a challenge mm-hmm. for a, a, a teacher or a practitioner in front of the, the children. Yeah. Not, not that it, it should become a barrier to what their learning needs are, it just requires additional thinking on top of teaching a curriculum, which is the bread and butter of why children go to, go and, to school. And do you think we're good at this? In our country, I think we're I think we're beginning to scratch the surface of getting better at it. Okay. Um, the legislation in terms of the Additional Support Needs Act has been around for about eighteen years. Right. Um, the curriculum that we teach in Scotland alone has been around for ten years. Okay. Um, in other places, I mean, the English curriculum has been around for a lot longer. The Welsh curriculum is in in the in the uh, cusp of changing. Um, but we're still not quite getting that understanding of we teach children and young people. We don't teach specific subjects or tests or outcomes. So explain that to me. What does that look like? Okay. Um, uh, well, if I take it, if, I, if you take the premise of what gets measured gets mm-hmm. done. Okay. Okay. So um, as a classroom teacher. Mm-hmm. Generally, I'm measured on the outcomes that my children produce. Okay. Exam results, mm-hmm. a particular tests through stages, a understanding of a levels, yeah. a strengths and a areas of development that they need to do, all within the curriculum. Yeah. And that's the bit that you see in league tables. Yes. That's the bit where we, we become judgmental in terms of this school's better than that school. Okay. Right down to this child's better than that child. Yeah. But if we were to look at the principle of every child as a unique individual Mm -hmm. and try and commit to teaching to their specific needs, Mm -hmm. that then becomes quite a different thing because we're still measured by the test. Okay. Okay. Um, Which means that some children who can will always be able to and some children who can't, then we used to begin to use that as an excuse. Well, they can't because X. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose that's the bit that we have to kind of start to turn around. If we were to measure things like well-being mm-hmm. in a league table, yeah, we would have a very different outlook as to which schools would be succeeding and not. Mm-hmm. But we don't. We measure, we measure tests. But then do you not have to, to a certain degree? You know, if you can't measure it, it didn't happen. And the goal is to get every child ready for the world academically as well as socially in terms of being able to perform maths tasks and read yeah. and all the rest of it. So do you not have to have a measure? I, I, I absolutely acknowledge that the, the purpose of the purpose of education is to go in at one point and come out at another point. Yes. Um, and and that, that absolutely is the gold standard of what we should be producing in, in schools. And that's why educators are specialists in the field that they're in. Yeah. However... <laughs> No one size fits all. Mm-hmm. The tests are one size. Yes. It's a particular test at a particular time yeah. on a particular day that doesn't perhaps suit your learning style, my learning style, his additional needs, her, her background situation at that given time. Okay. Um, so, so can you give me an example of where yeah, of teaching the child is not happening, you know what I mean, where, where, where we can get better perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or a real life example you can think of without naming names where you've witnessed a child's needs not being met because they're teaching to the task or the curriculum. Uh, yes, um, so we would, we, would call it, we would call it setting in schools, setting whereby we, uh, based on ability levels, mm-hmm. a particular subject may be split into a... Uh, sets so we would identify as a result of a test Mm -hmm. those children who were in the top you know uh, percentage would we would create what we would call a top set or a number one set yeah all the way down to uh what we would call the the bottom set which is horrendous yes Uh, and i have a lot of uh, strong opinions about that yeah Uh, which happens in most schools Mm -hmm. so ability to read to write uh, lots of kind of mathematics as yeah. around kind of setting. So what you'd have then is you'd have a class of 30 ch- children who have passed that test at 75% or more, say, mm-hmm. in the top set. Okay. 30 children. Um, irrelevant of what 
their additional need is. Okay. So I can still have a child who has visual impairment. Mm-hmm. I can still have a child who who is uh, hearing impaired. I can have a child who, ha- who who speaks English as a second language. Mm-hmm. I can have a child who has a who has a, a, a an amputee as a one leg and walks on crutches. Yeah. All within that situation, and they're in that top seventy five percent. So they're in the first set. Yet they all bring mm-hmm. a specific need that's unique to them. But then, could you not argue that if they've come out and they're in the top set, then they're doing all right? Uh, well, that depends then on. So once we've got them into that set, what that depends on then what the teacher does mm-hmm. to those children mm-hmm. and with those children to ensure that they are thriving and succeeding. So, mm-hmm. so lots of um, lots of research uh, tells us that uh, setting children into into top sets. Uh, stifles their creativity and their ability to do better okay so if i if i already categorize a child by saying you're, you're well enough to be in the top set yeah there's no need for them to push, push. the boundaries yeah that makes okay. sense so what that allows a teacher to do a teacher who perhaps is not as dedicated and committed mm-hmm. let's say uh, to teach to what i would call the middle of the classroom yeah the, the kids who who are ready to be pushed even further yeah the kids who are hanging on to being in that class yeah and the kids who are normally kind of fly under the radar are all getting the same information. Mm-hmm. So I might have a cohort of kids who are bored, mm-hmm. kids who are struggling, mm-hmm. and kids who are just coasting. Yeah. Okay. So um, irrelevant of their need. Yeah. Yeah. So then, then in Scotland, we've got that getting it right for every child. Yes. Does that apply to England and Wales as well, or is that only a Scottish thing? Um, what is beginning to be developed, they, you know, they have kind of safeguarding rules. What we have in in Scotland is uh, quite a unique mm. uh, situation whereby what we're trying to do is develop um, the understanding of irrelevant of my background as an education uh, uh, participant in, in schools, my responsibility first and foremost is teaching children and young people. Yeah. And I do that through the medium of my curriculum, yeah. which happened to be music. Okay. Okay, so the child comes first. The curriculum comes in second. Okay. Okay, that's a major shift. So whilst yeah. we always like to agree that we would always like to think that uh, the children has always come, the, the kids have always come first, what it means is that we have what we call a responsibility of all. My responsibility uh, within the classroom is to make sure that mental, emotional, social and physical well-being is being catered for. Yeah. There are opportunities, excuse me, for... Um, there are opportunities for what we call planning for choices and changes, career education. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at physical activity and sport. Yeah. Even if I'm a music teacher, mm-hmm. to understand that children's uh, ability of three hours screen, uh, three three uh, meals a day, two hours screen time, and one hour exercise mm-hmm. a, a day, um, all falls upon me on top of teaching the curriculum. Wow. It's just, it sounds like, like almost too big a job. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I, I, I actually welcome it very much so because, because I do. I, I teach children. Mm-hmm. My, my job is to know them uniquely and then to have a relationship with me mm-hmm. so that I know that I'm providing that. So if a child comes in that looks tired, dishevelled, unkept, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that there's been a particular, they're quiet, there's something that goes on, mm. it's my responsibility the curriculum almost becomes irrelevant and the children's need becomes paramount. Mm-hmm. Now, really, isn't that the kind of gold standard of what you would expect your children to go to school and get? Yes, I suppose so, yeah. But then I think I think so many people don't think of it that way. They just think of it as the outcomes of education. Absolutely. Um, so I'll go back to that thing that says what gets measured gets done. Yeah. And whilst I whilst I don't agree entirely about that, mm-hmm. I acknowledge and I understand why teachers do mm-hmm. because we're accountable for what results. we get, why we get them, and how and how that happens. Yeah. Um, so it becomes very difficult. Um, and until really uh, until really we we start to look at measurements and the purpose of them mm-hmm. and the use of them mm-hmm. and uh, the understanding that the, there's more ways to measure children's development than educational ability. Yeah. And, you know, um, we, we are stuck in a situation whereby teachers feel that their paramount need is to get through a curriculum. Yeah. 
So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sticking up for them at all, but I'm, I'm trying to, I suppose what I'm trying to do is make you aware of the variables in which... Yeah, it's, it's almost like society dictates that unless you get your, your, your National Fives or your GCSEs or your A-levels or you go to university, then you're not as successful as somebody else. Absolutely. Um, and that is not fair or right or true, is it? No. I think there's a great Facebook video that I saw on that about, uh, I think it was a letter to someone about the exam results being due and they said something like, you know, this 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 will not, if... if if the, a budding chef or a budding artist doesn't get an A in their maths, it's not going to cripple their career. It's all that sort of stuff, that there are more skills and there are more to people than just numeracy and literacy and yes. those sorts of results. The, these numeracy and literacy uh, provide a, a massive basis and open lots of doors yes. for children and young people, and humans in particular, all, all humans, open lots of doors for lots of opportunities yeah but they're not the be all and end all yeah and i suppose again if we look at that kind of idea of a child enters a school education system at, at a point mm-hmm. my understanding of education is that at any given time throughout that whole child's life depending on it's whether it's three to 15 mm-hmm. and 16 or all the way to 19 or in fact 22 if they go to university yeah. and, and higher education is that they have to come out at another point yeah they, 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 they come out differently than where they started yes but that also includes their development as well their understanding of social and emotional intelligence yeah. their ability to uh, to become resilient in situations that they have to kind of figure out themselves they become more independent and mm-hmm. autonomous with uh, life skills managing money even keeping keys for coming home yeah. uh, looking after their, their school bag and their equipment being prepared for the stuff that comes in front of them yeah. uh, facing adversity yeah. uh, you know all of these things as well as mm-hmm. learning. Yes. As well as. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Uh, so I suppose um, if you want to look at it from from that the kind of point of view of um, the be-all and end-all is not academic, one of the things that we have to look at now, and, and, and schools are beginning to take cognizance of the understanding that academic skills are, are controversially not enough. These days, mm-hmm. not enough these days. If we want to look at um, the understanding of the child who has five A's, mm-hmm. GCSEs, whatever, whatever uh, society is, whatever that is, what, how many doors that opens mm-hmm. as opposed to a child who gets two? Yeah. But what else is required in order to do that? So if I can give you an example, five hires first sitting, mm-hmm. uh, so they're, they're an equivalent of A-levels. Yeah. Uh, five hours in first sitting uh, will allow you to go into the pot of p- perhaps studying medicine. Yeah. The second part of that would be the MCAT scores that you have to do an online test to ensure your capability of understanding and learning. Yeah. Again, there is a percentage that you have to get from that. Um, we can have up to 5,000 applicants because... The understanding is that five hours at first, well, we're producing that. We're producing children who can yes. academically yeah. reach those targets. Yeah. But then if you look at the other variable from medicine school, it's not just about knowing the stuff. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to have a bedside manner, being yeah. able to understand uh, what's in front of you and how to say delicate things in a particular fashion that would suit the emotional kind of situation. Yeah. So... Where do they get that if they don't get that in our education system? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in terms of um, specific learning styles, yep. I, I think I'm mean, sure most teachers know this, but for, for the parents and things out there, what what <clears> are <throat> the key types of learners that you see? Yep, well, um, research tells us that 85% of the kids that we teach in schools are bodily kinesthetic and mm. interpersonal learners. So what does that mean? That means that kids want to be active, move around, mm-hmm. and they want to talk. Okay. Okay, so 85% of our learners. So that's the complete opposite to the school environment where they're told to sit down and exactly. listen. Okay. Exactly. Right. Okay, so first, the first thing that we need to look at is the understanding of what children bring to the table. So if you can imagine a classroom with primary one pupils mm-hmm. where a teacher sits on a chair and asks the children to sit on the floor around about them yeah. while she talks. Yeah. 
what you would imagine that would happen actually happens. Mm -hmm. Children fidget, they roll around, they talk to their partner, they... Trying to keep attention at that particular time is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that children don't need to sit still and listen, Mm -hmm. but it's not the only thing that they have to do. So the first thing that we need to understand is children learn better when they're moving. Actually, what happens to the brain when we move around and we talk is that the beats beats of blood per minute to the brain Mm -hmm. increases. So it allows metacognition to happen. The neurons in our in our brains to connect. Yeah. Our ability to learn and retain information increases. And that's scientifically proven. Absolutely. Because that, that's interesting, because I know that when we do homework with our kids, and I've said this before and I now don't do it anymore, having learnt what I've learnt over the last few years, is that, you know, they'll be sitting there kind of tapping the pencil or whatever while they're doing something or while they're talking to you. And I, I'm like, stop it, because you can't possibly be listening or concentrating. Mm-hmm. But maybe they are. Well, uh, again, a really good example is, is that... Um, my learning style and your learning style will be very different. So mm-hmm. if I were if I were reading a book, perhaps, yeah. for example, I prefer music on in the background. Yeah. It allows me to have another stimulus going on at the same time. It allows me to kind of concentrate better. Yeah. Whereas if I were to ask you to read a book, would you? Would you? I probably wouldn't like music on. Okay. Yeah. So there's just yeah. two different people here with two different styles. <laughs> So do, do you think teachers are good at identifying and then tailoring what they do to that? I suppose the crux of the matter then is uh, the biggest thing that, that, that children... So if we look at it in terms of the most important people in our education system are the kids. Yeah. Okay? We wouldn't have an education system no. if we didn't have the kids. If we look at it then, the second most important person then uh, to, uh, to be in the education system are the teachers. Yeah. And what the teacher brings. Now, it's not just good enough to have a body in front of a a group of kids. So what we call that is um, the instructional repertoire of the teacher. Okay. Basically, how many different ways can the teacher get the information across to suit the varying and vast learning styles that happen? So we think of it like this, you know, here is our education uh, curriculum and here are the children. Mm -hmm. And the teachers in the middle, yeah. they access the curriculum and they make it accessible to the children. Okay. But it's only the different ways that they do that will they get more people on board. Right. So if you think of it like, you know, if uh, all you had was a hammer, mm-hmm. everything in front of you would look like a nail. Yeah. But we need other tools to do different jobs. Yeah. Okay. So the more ways that I can understand and teach the thing... Mm-hmm invariably the more people will access what I'm trying to teach. So, so so generally gone are the days where we should be having teacher talk as the only way of, of teaching kids. I'm going to stand in front of the class and I'm going to impart knowledge to you guys. Mm. You're going to soak it all up and my job is done. Yeah. Okay. So the more ways that we can mix it up, the better we can we can access. So is that not just another way of doing repetition though? Because I mean, a lot of people learn by repetition. I remember being at school and having times table drills yes. over and over and over and over again until yeah. like you just knew them. So what you're saying is almost repeating whatever the message is or the curriculum part is, just in lots of different ways. So could you not argue that it's purely the repetition that's done that rather than the... No. Uh, so if I, if I, if what, what you're talking about is what we call rote learning. So if I can give you an example, mm-hmm. um, osmosis is the movement of a displacement of an, uh, an area, a uh, liquid from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration through a semi-permeable membrane. Yeah. I learned that in standard grade biology in 1993. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do I have any depth behind it? Do mm-hmm. I understand what it means? Mm-hmm. Do I know what it is? Absolutely not. But at my exam, and now at the age of 40, I can still remember yeah. that because it came out of my brain the same way that it went in. The The test, thankfully, mm-hmm. suited yes. how my brain interpreted that information. Okay, What we need to look at for children and young people is that the test isn't written all the time to the way that you learn it. So what we need to think about is what we call elaborate learning, questioning what we've what, what, what we've taught. And the way that we do that is through what we call higher order thinking skills. Okay. Uh, higher order thinking skills is an opportunity for us to think about what what a child understands, what they remember, how they can kind of recall it, what they can uh, experiment with it, and how they can create things as a result yeah. of the learning that they've done. So I suppose what we're trying to do is make 
pupils aware of what they can do with what they've learned. Mm -hmm. You know, remembering it is the very first stage. Yeah. Understanding and remembering. So rote learning comes in there. Mm -hmm. um, so again, in, in music, what I would do is I would teach kids to play merrily, we roll along on a keyboard by repeating the same notes and getting yeah. them to play it back to me. They have no depth of understanding of the, the, the timings. Mm -hmm. They don't have any kind of musical... Uh, lilt to it they don't you know they don't yeah. understand any concepts that go along with making that in terms of tempo yeah. volume whatever they can just play the tune yeah okay what happens when we look at higher order thinking skills is we become that well so as a result of that learning what can you what can you say about it what are the patterns you know mm -hmm. uh, what about the pitch where can you do that how can you use those three notes in a different order yeah and what it does is it <clears throat> allows people to kind of then question it yeah okay um, question what we call elaborate learning allows children to say why is that yeah. the thing that we've just done yeah. and how do you remember it and what if it's this or that so in theory the more that we allow children to to, to kind of question what they do the more that the practice is of when the test isn't quite written to the way that you've learned it, they'll be able to say, oh, that's asking me about that mm. thing there. Yeah. So I know the theory there and I'll be able to kind yeah. of bring it in. That makes a lot of sense. It's parrot, parrot knowledge and learning yeah. versus actually really getting what you're talking uh, about. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not degrading rote learning because mm -hmm. there is a place for it in schools. Yeah. There is absolutely a place for it in schools. But so if you look at it, in, if you look in terms of your times tables, yeah. you know, children need to know what the value of a number is in order for them to understand what yeah. times tables are. But then what they do with the times tables are they understand it and put it into practice in a lot of different ways. Yes. So just by knowing your five times table doesn't tick the box no. of being able to, you know, being no, able to being able multiply to... by five. Yeah. Actually, it's putting that into very different and varied context yeah. that, that proves your understanding of it. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay, so we the type of learner that you put put on there was that you 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 know need that kind of auditory input, I suppose, to concentrate. Mm -hmm. What other kind of things do you see? Um, we have uh, various uh, children and young people coming through the education system that fidget. Mm -hmm. Okay, that um, like to swing on their chair, mm -hmm. uh, tap their pens. You know, uh, generally and innocently, yeah, find it difficult to sit still mm -hmm. and to concentrate. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose we're we're quite a long a long way to go for for teachers to understand that that that's not a a direct in discipline. Mm -hmm. It's a it's an acknowledgement of that at this given time I'm finding this uncomfortable. Yeah, or difficult. Yeah, or challenging. But also, certainly in our community, I know that, as, as we were saying about, the, by the very nature of young kids moving about, and that that actually helps their learning, I know that a lot of our community find that fidgeting, just like you listening to music, yeah. helps them concentrate. Yes. Yeah, I, and I think that is misunderstood in classrooms, because I think there's also the, the impact on the other people. Absolutely. For, for you, maybe tapping your pen, pen helps you, but if I'm sitting next to you, that it's might drive me nuts. It's distraction. So yes. that, that must be really another challenge for the teachers Absolutely. to get that right. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, being a teacher in front of 30 kids with 30 different styles is no mean feat. Yeah. However, mm -hmm. <laughs> however, if I don't allow the opportunity uh, for, for children to be who they are at any given time, yeah. I'm not allowing them to reach their maximum potential yeah. so suppose the various things that we can do is exactly what i said about teaching styles yeah for children and young people i should be able to do a particular so if we, if we look at it in terms of a particular type of learning so i'm going to teach children about the understanding and use of verbs for mm -hmm. example okay so that is my broad learning yeah okay by the end of this period of time that's what we're going to learn, and I'm going to output it by having, you know, a discussion with my friends, or perhaps writing a front story of whatever, or putting it into a context, or reading something. Yes. But that's my learning. So yeah. what I then have to do as the teacher, I have to split that period of learning up into as many different things as I possibly can to make sure that every style is met. Yeah. Now, this is the bit that teachers are need a bit of guidance with. 
And this is what you do. This is what I do. Yeah, this is okay. cooperative learning, so, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, cooperative learning is only one way. In fact, it's one of 80 different methodologies. A man called Bruce Joyce has uh, written a book called Methods of Teaching. Okay. And he has identified 80, 80 wow. different ways in which teachers can really information, teach information and practice information to get kids the best out of kids. Okay. So if I was to kind of say to you, teacher talks, standing at the board and reciting information is one. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and unfortunately, unlike when you go to a university to learn how to be a, a doctor, mm. <laughs> teachers don't get actually taught very much how to teach. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that we're taught is the theories behind it. Okay. But nobody teaches us different styles in which we can do things. Okay. Okay. So again, not sticking up for them, but I'm making you understand that then that one piece of learning and how, how I can do that. So what I would kind of, what I encourage is then, you know, there is an opportunity. The other thing we have to remember is that humans are relevant of kids, are relevant of their additional needs is the biggest retention time space that we have is five to seven minutes mm -hmm. after seven minutes maximum mm -hmm. your mind starts to wander yeah you start to fidget you start to move around you start to do things that perhaps takes away the you know yeah the full understanding of what's going on so i have to then split my learning up so that one learning thing could last me an hour and 50 minutes mm -hmm. but then i have to work as a whole class mm -hmm. maybe as pairs mm -hmm. maybe in groups and maybe have to do something that stops and gets them up and yeah. moving around and talking all all on what's what's going on. Yeah, they might do some individual work in between that mm -hmm. to do some writing themselves. They then might do some uh, kind of peer kind of uh, formative assessment. I'll mm -hmm. I'll listen to yours and give you, you know, two really good things and something that you could maybe work on, and yeah. you'll do that to me. And then I have to do a plenary. The more ways that I mix it up, yeah, the more ways I'm encouraging kids to access yes. what they're doing. And the more chance you've got of reaching them all in terms of delivering the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. And remember so. what I said about it's not just about the education. The other thing that I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm preparing children for, I you may not like working silently and on your own. Mm -hmm. However, it is a life skill. It's mm -hmm. an understanding where the responsibility at this given time lies only with you mm -hmm. because that's what the test does. Mm -hmm. Okay? You may not like it, mm -hmm. but we are going to do it. Yeah. Similarly, a child who doesn't like working with, with other people. Mm. Again, it's an understanding of you may not like it, but it's a life skill. It's an understanding that, you know, you don't have to be bosom buddies, yeah. but you do have to acknowledge that you... Your help will help them and their help will help you. Yeah. So the more I mix it up, I'm also beginning to hit those other things that I was talking about yeah. at the start. The kind of bigger life skills. Yeah, the bigger life skills. Because that's the other thing that just crossed my brain there is that in, in the school environment then, you if, if, if you had your way and you could make every school in the world teach in this way, you believe that it would have a massive impact on how children learn, I'm sure. Yes, and the results. I believe outcomes. that it's. I believe that it's one of many other things that they should be doing. Yes. So if we look at the way in which you, you should set up a classroom, um, uh, Bennett, Stava, and Rollhausen, um, who are kind of great kind of educators on looking at how we set up classroom uh, classrooms and how what ways we learn best, they say that generally, the three ways in which we can set up classroom teaching is individually. Mm -hmm. Uh, competitively mm -hmm. and cooperatively right. and what they say is that all three are required in those kind of broad brushes that big umbrella yeah. all three are required to meet learning needs irrelevant of your need mm -hmm. additional need perhaps irrelevant of your your style irrelevant of your uh, maturity and your emotional and social intelligence if i don't mix it up it looks like then I favour one thing over another, okay. whereby then I'm imparting my preference okay. onto you. And not allowing them to explore and experience yes. different things and decide for themselves. Yes. But in the future then, once once we're grown up and we go and have a job and you've got to sit still in an office Monday to Friday, nine to five, and either be forced to work in a team or forced to work on your own or mm -hmm. whatever else, you know, you, you can't get up and change what you're doing every seven minutes, can you? No. Um, so how does that then translate into real life? 
Well, if you look at uh, employment rates mm-hmm. and uh, the understanding of how people lose a job, you mm-hmm. know, we can look at kind of really high variables. Perhaps up to ninety percent of people don't lose their their job when they when they are sacked. Say, mm-hmm. don't lose their job on their ability to do the job. Mm-hmm. They lose it on the lack of what we would call social pillars. Mm-hmm. I can't get on with. There's mm-hmm. been a fallout. Uh, there's there's a, a social barrier yeah. to the job rather than. The, the physical ability, ability to yeah. do the job. Okay. So that's why it was in Scotland, uh, in, in in particular, we have, um, as a result of what we would call the Roundtree Report, where, where uh, there was a massive kind of scope on what are we doing with children mm. and how are we getting them out into the world of work. We, we call it, nationally, we call it a, a positive and sustained destination. Okay. When children leave either at 16 or 18, mm-hmm. excuse me, what are they doing and where are they going and how have we succeeded by mm-hmm. getting them to to that point? And those numbers nationally mm-hmm. are kept. Right, okay. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm struggling to remember the, the English body, but in Scotland it's called Skill, Skills Development Scotland. Okay. And what, what they do is they track, they ask schools to give the details of they're leaving at 16, they don't have somewhere to go, they're just leaving school or they're going to, to uh, further education yeah. or they have an apprenticeship or they've got a job or they're and, and they're tracked until they're 21, I think it is. Okay. okay. Just in terms of kind of where they're going and, what, and right. what's going on. Um, so what we were getting was what we were getting was first of all we need to close that gap we need to reduce the people who are leaving education going nowhere yeah so we we did that we we increased the amount of people who were doing different things okay but what we weren't doing particularly well was we weren't keeping them in those things okay so what happened was we had an, an opportunity to then look at what, what they call developing Scotland's young workforce. And, and and that document from Scottish Government mm-hmm. basically came back and said, stop sending kids out that are academically sound, mm-hmm. what gets measured gets done, mm-hmm. but socially inept. Okay. Yeah, so that's interesting. Now, I know, I know that, again, the community that we have, that's probably where their education need often is most important because they struggle with the social yeah. and for them then to be successful in life moving forward really that's the, the most of them I am generalizing do all right academically mm-hmm. um, but it's obviously the social side that they, they need support and help with um, and I just wonder if that's happening I don't know the answer to that but no so I suppose then if, if we're going to then begin to look now at specific mm. needs mm. Um, there are it's a reciprocal process mm-hmm. As a class teacher, I can provide, I can I can watch children's interactions, I can understand their social and emotional intelligence by building trust and relationships with them. I can also begin to kind of see where perhaps specific needs lie. Yeah. But I'm also then thoroughly reliant on not only the pupil mm-hmm. by giving me some information, yeah. what makes them comfortable, what makes them not, who are their friendship circles, how can I allay fears or anxiety yeah but parents and carers then become also a big massive variable within that what what historically works best where do we we access information to give specifics Mm. because again um with the best will in the world my my specific field is in teaching music mm-hmm. it was only as a result of my learning that I went and did further learning on how to understand children and, yeah you know um, so a lot of the teachers that we have not by their own fault mm-hmm. are not specifically yeah. trained in whatever thing that comes to their comes yes. to their table so then moving on to because I know that I, I see this a lot in our community so we see lots of people kind of in our group going so-and-so has been to school today and the class teacher has not allowed him to have his fiddle toy or his chewy or sit on his vibrating pad or, you know, whatever tool either the parent has said the child needs or um, maybe an occupational therapist, I don't know, but the class teacher's, like, not allowing it. Um, (laughs) Yes, so... And obviously you then get the parents feeling very upset because they don't feel that their child's needs are being taken into account. So what tips would you give them for approaching that and solving it with the teacher in the school? Yeah, I, I suppose that, I mean, 
and I'm, and I'm really not just talking about education here. A- any type of development and understanding of people relies on an understanding of a, a relationship that allows trust, mm-hmm. whereby that, that trust is reciprocal. Yeah. I'm going to open up and let you in on what happens, what works best, where my particular variables are Mm -hmm. and in return you're going to let me know what that can look like in the classroom and where my difficulties and perhaps my fears are Mm -hmm. and how you know how we can both overcome those things yeah Um, conversations regular and consistent conversations Mm -hmm. between teacher and pupil Mm -hmm. pupil and uh, parents and carers and parents and carers with both mm-hmm. is as required, and I, and I don't mean like structured. I just mean there's an opportunity all the time to to kind of talk about what's going well and what's not. Coaching and helping one another. Yeah. Because it's you know if if you think of the child, obviously the child needs needs to be fixed, but that 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 teacher also has twenty nine other children. Yeah. So how best can we? Look at that variable within the context of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What are your fears? How mm-hmm. do you go about it? How can you get support? Where can you get a bit more reading? How mm-hmm. do you understand? And, and and what can we try incrementally that, you know, so if you look at the understanding of these fidget spinners, mm. for example. Yeah. You know. Which were banned in uh, every school. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, so it's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But we look at we look at the understanding of a child who comes in and says, "Yeah, but this helps me work better," mm-hmm. as opposed to a child who comes in and says, "Well, you know, we're going to have a chat with my parent and carer here about the understanding because of my complex needs mm-hmm. and how that works to me." The teacher still has, at the end of the day, the understanding of I'm allowing you, mm-hmm. but I'm not allowing you mm-hmm. now in a, in a class of thirty. And if we say, you know, uh, uh, kids who are seven, eight or nine, mm-hmm. that becomes quite a challenge, doesn't it? Yeah. So I suppose what the teacher then, the the, 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 um, the parent can do to help support that is the understanding of what can I do? What can I explain to you to explain to the class without saying this child is different? Mm-hmm. What is it that we can understand about the relationship of the child mm-hmm. and all the other children to make it seem like well that you need that mm-hmm. and I don't need that because I'm not that mm-hmm. you know I I would I would challenge a lot of parents and carers um, who who are um, who have children with a, a specific need to ask their the, the particular teacher at that given time how well the rest of the class understand mm-hmm. and um, or even know. I was going to say about the some children's know, additional need. Okay. And some parents and carers maybe don't want people to know. And whilst I understand that, it then becomes a very difficult management situation for the people, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the people and the teacher. Yeah. Most importantly, uh, now the understanding of of uh, important information is is can be from you know as we know. Yeah. Um, but anything that you can equip the teacher with. Mm-hmm to allow the understanding of so again I'll give you I'll give you an example Um, when I was at school in primary school the um, there was a child in my class called Christopher he was in um, he he had what what we we knew was cerebral palsy but the only reason that we knew he had cerebral palsy was because he told me I had a relationship with him he told me he walked differently he talked slightly differently mm. and because he obviously felt comfortable with me, I knew. Mm-hmm. What had happened then is as we, we went up through primary school, his, his health deteriorated. Mm-hmm. And at a parents' night, my teacher at the time told my parents that perhaps me having a relationship with Christopher um, wasn't the right thing to do right. because he would get worse. And I found that very difficult to get my head around mm. but there was no education as to the background as to why that was going to happen yeah so that's a really a good example of a really bad way of dealing with the situation yeah. but you can see then if if a parent has not allowed that information to be relayed yes. and the understanding of 
what what is it why it makes it happen yes um it becomes very difficult as a teacher to manage so yeah. i can see both sides yeah. to why the teacher dealt with it the way that they dealt with it okay okay so it really would be it sounds obvious but being honest about whatever the additional need is being clear about what that looks like in terms of supporting the child and agreeing that with the teacher Absolutely. to come up with a plan that is going to fit into their class as a whole as well as supporting that individual. Absolutely. So so each child who has a, a, a registered specific diagnosis or a particular need should have what we would call an individual education plan. Yeah. And that plan will include things like, you know, what 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 I can what I can do as the teacher to help, what I can do as the pupil to help, what I can do as the parent and carer to help, what are my measurements on trying different things out, what is my understanding on um, uh, how we're going to get, you know, improve education, how we're going to improve social interactions, how we're going to improve uh, emotional well-being, how we're going to improve things like attendance or any, yeah. any of those other things in particular measures. And that, at that point, is the crux of... yeah. I, I need to give you all the information that I could possibly do. Mm-hmm. The teacher then needs to give you all the fears and yes. variables that they have. And then we need to, as a result of that, agree on a way in going forward. Yes. Uh, what I would say with uh, parents and carers, the biggest help that you can, I suppose that you could do is, is, you, is you can allow teachers intermittently to try different things out. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't mean in terms of, oh, my child's not a social experiment, mm. but... If we're going to talk about getting it right, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen overnight. No. And in order, you have to be willing to accept that whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. your your one child is your most important thing. Yes. But as the teacher, all 30 are mine. Yeah. So it will be a trial and error. Yeah. But what we can do is we can allow things to go on that are that are transparent, that are clear, yeah. and I have a clear time frame. So yeah. don't be frightened to go back. Uh-huh. How did it go? Where did it work? What kind of things did we get? As well as asking the pupil. Yes. No one of the best. So it might be, and in fact, um, one of our occupational therapists, Saskia, spoke a bit about this, which ties in with this, but I'll reiterate what she said. But she was talking about um, having exactly like that, a trial period. To say it is a fidget toy. Um, Let's try it in the classroom. Agree with the teacher. Can we try it in the classroom for the next two weeks? Yeah. Um, The pupil knows the rules that they should only use it in this situation, this situation, this situation. They also know that if they fling it across the classroom, it'll be taken off them and stuck in the the teacher's desk. Yeah. Um, And then let's review it in two weeks, that sort of thing. So I guess then the teacher feels in control as well and not push down a route. You know, there's there's a way out for both parties, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. with particular complex needs, yeah. two parties become more parties. So yeah. if we're talking about educational psychology, yeah. if we have social work involved, if there are any other variables within yes. that, what we need to do is have a multifaceted conference yeah. whereby everybody contributes to that. Yes. Um, because I suppose, again, we need to keep remembering that the child is the person at the centre. Yeah. Um, everybody will have a different view, view and a different idea. Yeah. And... and the more people that we can that we, we can try to get better. So these conversations need to be kind of incrementally. And every every child that has an individual education plan has a target and a and a date that would yeah. have to be set by. Yeah. So so make best use of that. Yes. Understand the transparency. Know know your 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 rights in terms of I'd I'd like this to happen. Yeah. Make clear we'll try it for X amount of time and stand by that. Yeah. Make appointments that will allow that will allow teachers. What I would say, though, is whilst your children, you know, your, ch- your kids are singly the most important thing and the most precious thing in the world to you, mm-hmm. try, and, try and be, at least understand the fact that the teacher's job is to, is to make sure that every child, yes. that every parent has a most precious child in the whole wide world. Yes. And, and the sense. ability is to understand all. But that's not to the detriment of your child no. missing out. 
No, absolutely. That's why we have to try different things to make things The other work. thing that struck me, which is much more challenging for parents, is, again, we've got a lot of people who, as, as soon as they get an official diagnosis for their child, mm-hmm. things become easier. You get the multifaceted team coming in to help. They get the support in place they need. The teacher takes the, the fidgeting or whatever's going on in the classroom more seriously and is more open to allowing tools into the classroom. Yeah. But most parents know there's something different about their child. And that diagnosis journey can take anything from, you know, six months to three or four years. Um, so being taken seriously and listened to during those few years before you get the official diagnosis and before there's a team in place to support you can be a real challenge for our mm-hmm. community. Sure. Um, and I guess that it's really difficult then for the teacher because without an official diagnosis and IEP, how can they... I don't know, allow some things to be different. I don't know. Again, it's just that everything that we get, everything that we start with relies on our relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, the frustration and the fear and that anxiety that you as a parent and carer hold. Yes. How do you get that across genuinely, calmly, professionally and the understanding that, you know, the need of what's going on, the turmoil of where I am is is where I am and, and where can we meet halfway? So if we look at that in the kind of terms of, it's exa- exactly the same way, and I'm, we'll talk about the child in amongst all this in a second, mm. but here, here's where I am and here's my child's need and this is the most important person in, in the world and here's where I am as the teacher, mm-hmm. you know, where I your child's great but it's not the only child and, mm-hmm. and if I allow this and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so where 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 are we, and where can we compromise? Where is the thing in the middle that yeah. we can kind of understand and take? What is the common ground as a result of these two different poles that yeah. we can begin to begin to work with? And I would argue irrelevant of a situation, of a need, of a school, of an age or a stage. That all begins with the relationship, mm-hmm. a relationship between. Two humans, mm-hmm. not a teacher, not a specialist, mm-hmm. where in a lot of cases teachers aren't. Yeah. Uh, and not a parent that is, you know, completely blinkered to the, the understanding of an education yeah. situation whereby your child is one of a. Yeah. Uh, where do we kind of go? Here, Here's me. This mm-hmm. is it. And, and this is this is what I'm bringing to the table. Here are my fears. Here are my worries. Here's what my kid's saying mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. Here's the, the behaviours I'm getting as a result of that. And we need to, you know, can you help? Yeah. And on the other side, the teacher needs to kind of understand then, yeah, I, I absolutely hear you and irrelevant of my variables. I need to understand that your child and your your situation is bringing some type of barrier that, yes. that, that we need to kind of that we need to kind of look at yeah. but that that is all about relationships yeah and I guess that's the other thing is that if, if something's happened your natural reaction as a parent is is to go and annoyed Absolutely. and angry and passionate about it and storm up to the school and say how yes. dare you not allow him to have that you know that he needs yes. that in which instantly will get the teachers back up blah 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 yeah. so the other thing is just like in any relationship where you're annoyed is to approach it in a calm, measured, evidence-based and open manner to try and get the best outcome. Yes, the better the trust and the better the relationship, the better the outcome will be irrelevant of any situation. Yeah. Um, one of the other things then uh, perhaps we need to kind of consider is that idea of being proactive rather than reactive. Yes. So, um, well, it's a, a really good time of year when we're talking about this uh, Changing of stages, mm-hmm. changing of teachers, looking at different timetables. Yeah, this is all beginning to come up now. We're we're almost in, in into May. Yeah. So what what do I have to do as a parent and carer now mm-hmm. to allay some of those fears for not just the pupil, mm-hmm. but for the teachers who perhaps are going to to gain? So yes. we've made we've built up a really good relationship with you of the school session, but I'm gonna my child's now going to move on. Yes. So what are we doing now to be proactive to make sure that a lot of the things practically and pragmatically mm-hmm. that we can put into place yeah. is being understood by the, the next Better teacher. The next teacher. Um, and so how don't yeah. assume then that oh, that's gonna be passed uh, on. Absolutely not. Right. Okay. Absolutely not. And again, allay your own fears. Mm-hmm. Meet with the next teacher, mm-hmm. understand what you're dealing with. Yeah. Have a you know, have an open and frank conversation with them yeah tell them what goes well tell them what has worked well yeah. tell them what's not gone particularly well and ask them to have a look through the IEP and, and make themselves familiar yeah 
any good reading that you know or that you've done uh, as a parent or carer yourself that's helped you practically mm-hmm. at home or, or understand what's going on. Yeah. Offer information that, that may be useful yeah. for the next teacher. I suppose the best the best type of action that we can have is proaction. Yes. You know, the last thing that we want is a, a situation whereby most importantly, the child yeah. has to have some type of kind of adverse reaction to something yeah. before something happens. And this is probably the best time to be doing that. Yeah. You know, meeting in schools, understanding the difference in stages. Yes. Reviewing the IEPs that are already in place yeah. before the stage changes. Yeah. And having the conversation with the child. Right now, we are coming to the end of a school session. Things are about to change. How does it make you feel? Mm-hmm. What 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 could make you feel better? Mm-hmm. Um, how could we, you know, how can we put things in place now to make sure that this transition is easier for you? So can we, we, we can meet and have a chat about it every week. Yeah. I can have a conversation with somebody else that you're comfortable with. We can make sure that there's a, a friend in your class. We can, you know, yeah. again, I feel like I'm telling people how to do something that's really straightforward. But, but I think, think people in time, think people think about it. And I know certainly when my kids started school that I, I didn't, I didn't know that they, those things were options. I mean, you, you only ever go and talk when there's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you know how busy they are. You don't want to be a pain, I suppose. But well, at the same time... Similarly, that is the most precious commodity that you own, yes. that you have. You you would, you know, uh, you would lay down your life for them, yeah. I'm quite sure. So, so why wouldn't you make sure that the best is, is for your child? I would actively encourage... Mm-hmm. parents to go and speak to the teachers because it's not things that go wrong generally are not because the teacher wants your child to suffer no no i know and, and when we're reactionary and mm-hmm. something has gone wrong that can t- at times be difficult for the parent and carer to see yes okay yeah. so how can we alleviate that to happen By the teacher's correct. doing the best that they, they can uh, and, I, and i will reiterate again we're not we're not specialists in every field of mm-hmm. every complex need. No. Not not because we don't want to. Mm-hmm. Not because we don't care. Not because we don't want the best for the child that you have. It's just because it's impossible. Oh, exactly. It's and like life is, exactly. Mm-hmm. And life is busy. So if 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 you have anything at all that would help upskill or mm-hmm. make understand or allow teachers to to kind of. Just to be a bit more understanding of what what life yeah. looks like for you guys, yeah, um, the better. And there, there'll be there will be no teacher that won't happily take that take that yeah. on board ever. I'm yeah. very confident. Yeah, and that's one thing I would say to you lot. If you haven't already got it on the website, we have our supporting school success chewing the spidergram thing me bob which is um exactly that one you can print out and take two teachers which helps them understand sometimes that chewing can be a, a benefit for concentrating and things like that so fab anything else you want to say before we finish up uh, no no i think um again have a have a think about perhaps um the best way that your child learns yeah have a think about things that that that, that do work well, uh-huh. uh, and similarly that don't. Yeah. What brings fear? So again, if we're looking at uh, ASD in particular, most of the time uh, in in ASD, children like structure and routine. Yeah. They don't like to be the change. Yeah. Okay. So if we're looking for structure and routine, what what structure and routine are you putting in place, teacher? Yes. That I can understand at home mm-hmm. to help my child know that that's what that's what we do. Yeah. And similarly, when that structure and routine is about to change, yes. Yeah. What can I do? In, what can I do in place? How you know? How can you alert me mm-hmm. in advance to help me support my child that that's about to change? Yeah. You know. So, uh, basically, what I'm saying is. The more trust and relationships that you build with one another, the easier it's the going to easier be. it's going to be. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I found that fascinating. And the other thing you lot should know is this here sitting next to me is the voice of the song. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it is. So yeah, the sensory matters little ditty at the start and the end. It's Karen who sings uh, it. Um, yeah. So all credit to her because it's awesome so thank you very much for coming and chatting to us today you're welcome very useful okay bye 
So that was Karen. What were your thoughts, Lorraine? Oh, some amazing tips there. This is a really useful one. So if you're not in the VIC group, I really suggest that you go and sign up so that you get to listen to the full version. Totally. I mean, so many things about like how teacher teachers and parents can work together, about classroom setup, loads of really valuable stuff. Um, and also obviously gave away the secret that she is actually the voice of the, the song for Sensory Matters, yeah. <laughs> that gets stuck in your head, that song. <laughs> it does, it's really good, I love it. Um, so not, not just a, a talented lady, but an awesome singer as well. Um, so yeah, that's that. Now next week we're chatting to Claire Larkins, and her story's interesting, isn't it, Lorraine? Yeah, because her son does gymnastics and he is incredible. Yes, totally, and um, has competed at quite a high level. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that, and you'll hear more about it next week, is that it was, uh, a, I think it was a GP visit from memory, and um, a son was just like hanging upside down, and it was suggested that he should go, and then just everything went from there. So really yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, and he does a lot of competitions. And I'm personal friends with Claire on Facebook, and basically all the pictures she puts on is just of him like doing handstands or like just things that I wouldn't ever be able to dream of doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just hanging from places, yeah. So I think it's a really positive one because it shows um, very much what can be achieved, but also loads of tips in there as well because going into a comp competitive environment with that pressure and the noise and all the other things. Um, yeah, it's mainstream gymnastics as well. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So um, how they've, they've coped and managed with that so that he still gets the very best out of it is, is really interesting. Yeah. I've got that to look forward to. Um, now, I am disappearing for a couple of weeks as well. I'm going on a very much needed holiday. I'm absolutely exhausted. Um, so I won't be chatting to you before and after the shows for a couple of weeks. So it'll be Lorraine and maybe just Lorraine, maybe Lorraine and Jamie. Who knows? Yeah, maybe Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will see you guys in a few weeks when I'm back and I shall be fully refreshed. And hopefully I will come back to loads of people having signed up to be a VIC um, because you'd be mad not to, wouldn't you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's us for this week. And we will, well, Lorraine will be back next yeah, week. Yeah, I'll see you next week and you have a great holiday. I will indeed. Thank you all. Bye. Bye. You know what?